2: And sounds help you to stimulate
0: around the eyes. Greatest and greatest wellness trends, treatments, and experience. Magnesium is
1: naturally found in foods like this is the
3: Well and Good Podcast. Tune in to find the wellness that fits your frequency. Hi again, I'm Kate Spees, the general manager of Well and Good. And today's topic is one that I've had so many conversations about and I'm really conflicted. How much should we all be doing to our faces? And what does our skincare routine and our beauty routine actually say about us? Through a gazillion conversations with friends, I know that so many of us are thinking differently about our face right now. We've had a year of staring at this Omnipresent mirror that is Zoom, and suddenly we know what our face looks like when it emotes, when it's bored during a work meeting, when it's lolling with friends, what it looks like after a year of the stress and turmoil of a global pandemic. And we're all thinking slightly differently about our faces. Anecdotally, Derms are saying that more people than ever are considering Botox. Dentists are reporting an uplift in Invisalign patients and post-vaccinated folks are thinking about how they want to look for shop girl summer. Yet on the other side of the spectrum, there's also been a huge push in the beauty industry towards skin minimalism. The eight billion step skincare routines that were so popular a few years ago have really gone out the windows, packed shelfies are far less of a thing, and many people are pairing back to the core four, which is a basic cleanser, a moisturizer, an SPF, and a retinol. Even further along this minimalism spectrum, there are people calling for all of us to leave our face the fuck alone. More on that later. So what gives? Are we completely vapid if we invest our time, energy and funds into altering our faces? Or is beauty a really great expression of individualism and a form of self-care? I don't know. Like with many things, I think
2: the answer probably lies somewhere in the middle. So let's dive in. Beauty is capital. And so it's not vain and it's not shameful to have really strong feelings about your physical appearance and to want to appear a certain way. It's only natural in the society that we're set up in.
3: That's Jessica Defino a beauty reporter who is on a mission to tell folks about what she says the beauty industry won't.
2: And then I think it's really important to understand that what can empower an individual, empower as in give you that literal power in a society where beauty is capital, can simultaneously disempower the collective of women. Yeah. The thing that stays the same across beauty standards is that they are almost impossible to achieve naturally and they keep you buying and consuming. No matter what the trend is, it's something that's always going to be slightly out of reach. And then the way that they present will change because beauty is always a moving target. And that is by design. Honestly, I think that I'm a pretty big victim of societal beauty
3: standards and the constantly moving target. Full disclosure time, I got Botox before the pandemic. So I can't blame Zoom for changing the way that I feel about my face. And what's really interesting is my own feelings about Botox really changed. I used to say that I would never get it, I felt like it fell into a bucket of cosmetic surgery. And I just wasn't interested. I thought maybe it was anti-feminist or it made me vain. And I thought that to age in the way that I wanted to age, it didn't include injectables. And then honestly, one day I woke up and decided it was time. I wanted to not have the lines between my eyebrows that I was really focused on, that I constantly looked at the mirror. So I did it. And those lines were gone. I never think about them anymore. And it works for me. And I really think that the way that we relate to our aging face is so individual. And my personal opinion is that everyone should do what makes them happy. However, there are lots of smart folks who challenge that opinion, including Jessica, who you just heard from. They point out that my actions may be damaging to the collective and responsible for contributing to making other women feel bad about themselves because all they're seeing are smooth forwards on their IG feed. So I was really interested to understand where our next guest stood on this complex issue?
4: First and foremost, I don't view Botox in the lens of beauty. And it is something that is inherently not gendered. At Peachy, we see a lot of men, gender non-binary, and women. And the education behind how our skin ages, I think is really helpful sort of basis point for everyone to just understand if, if this conversation were to arise. That's Dr. Carolyn Treasure.
3: She's the co-founder of Peachy, a studio focused on the prevention of static wrinkles using Botox, subscription retinoids, and or SPF.
4: So there's sort of two parallel processes on how our skin throughout the body ages. So one path is physiologic aging. And this is pre-programmed aging that has a large genetic component, but this is the aging that would occur if we lived in a vacuum. A large driver of that is the dynamic to static wrinkle progression. uh, And then it's also accelerated by an inherent loss of collagen that everyone starts to experience around, but not always around age 50. The other process is extrinsic aging, which is... Almost entirely due to what's called photoaging. And that's aging that occurs from exposure to UV radiation or exposure to the sun and it can be minimized with just sun avoidance religious, judicious use of SPF of sunscreen. And so, you know, these two processes can be prevented and largely what Botox does is prevent and minimize that physiologic aging component. And so, you know, certainly for some people, prevention is not for them, but I think framing it in this is just preventing and sort of a part of a long-term, you know, self-care routine was how I personally use wrinkle relaxers for myself. At the end of the day, Botox or wrinkle relaxers are very different than other quote-unquote injectables in that they don't alter or change your natural appearance. They're very much focused on gently relaxing the muscles, preventing those dynamic lines or, or lines with muscle movement from progressing to static. And every other day, there's someone that we turn away who's just not yet a great candidate for preventative Botox. They just don't have dynamic lines and and that's, you know, something that we stand by firmly and that the the quote unquote ideal time um, in terms of the, you know, the efficacy of Botox is, is that dynamic lines that are just about or just have just started to transition to static. I actually had an experience going to a physician colleague of mine and receiving preventative Botox many years ago. And during this experience, Throughout the consultation and throughout the treatment of Botox, the this particular provider kept mentioning to me, you know, Carolyn, your cheekbones are very flat. You really need filler there or you should definitely get filler there. And you know, honestly, I left the experience sort of offended, a little bit in doubt. It was just a very odd experience. And in talking to a of mine, a lot of people experienced something similar. And, and so really wanting PG to be a place where... You're accepted and celebrated for exactly how you look. And if you want to learn about the science, great. And if it's, you know, any modality is for you, perfect, but no pressure whatsoever. Our goal is to have an approachable environment for people to come and feel comfortable to ask the questions and and to learn and then to make the decision, of course, for themselves.
1: I see the divide, too. There's always been this divide the natural kind of world, and then the full on dermatological world. And so I think if where, wherever you fall, you will just go and gravitate to those.
3: That's Dr. Claudia Aguirre, who has a PhD in neuroscience and her work is mostly focused on longevity. She studies everything from the aging brain to aging skin and is super focused on the connection between them.
1: If you stare at your face you know, for 10 hours a day, then you're going to look at all of the little changes and you're like, wow, maybe this needs to go up a little higher. This needs to be changed or I've got these spots. Or, so people are becoming overly conscious. Um, now, is that a good thing? I don't know. We're all looking at
4: ourselves in Zoom calls. That's Dr. Carolyn Treasure again. People have never, or oftentimes in in in-person meetings, didn't get a chance to, you know, see themselves as they were talking, emoting. And so I think it's just sort of naturally noticing um, some dynamic lines, potentially some static lines, you know, not wearing um, makeup as much, which I think is a great thing. And so I think people are very interested in what can, you know, minimize and prevent those dynamic lines from progressing to static
2: My golden rule of skincare is leave your face the fuck alone.
3: (laughs) That's Jessica again.
2: So many of our issues are caused by products, and so many of the products that exist in the world are there to solve problems caused by other products, and it just creates this really vicious cycle where our skin can never fully recover. I saw this myself when I stopped. Using products, like when my dermatitis was at its worst and my skin was atrophied, I just stopped using everything except for like splashing my face with water morning and night. And honestly, within two weeks, I had seen the most skin healing I'd ever seen in my whole probably 15-year history of having skin issues. I was like, wait, what's going on here? I'm doing the opposite of all of the advice I've ever gotten from magazines, from estheticians, from dermatologists. And suddenly I have like this beautiful, perfect skin, (laughs) like what's happening? So I started researching the science of it and figuring out like, well, how does the skin actually work?
1: The skin is a wonderful organ. It is your window, you know, to your internal health. It really can tell you so much.
3: As you can hear, Dr. Claudia is a big fangirl of the natural power of our skin
1: having an appreciation for your skin being this enormous sensor I mean, if you think about your wearables right your watch is cool but your skin is out of control it can tell the change in ph in temperature before your cognitive brain can even comprehend it the nerves they transmit at levels of like a ferrari if you're comparing you know velocity So I think if we start to appreciate it in that sense, then you can think about your skin all you want and you can improve it, you know, and that's great. But if you if it's hindering you from, you know, performing at your optimum, then yes, that's where you got to find that balance. The skin has had a disservice, let's say, over the past maybe 100 years or so because beauty industry has changed over decades. And I think the beauty industry at one point um, became very kind of superfluous, all about enhancing. And it wasn't necessarily about the health of the skin. There was always health of the skin in dermatology, for example, but they were so separated. When you apply your skincare products, you know, think about just beneath the surface. I used to teach estheticians all the time. And I used to say, you guys have so much power in your hands because you think you're just applying like creams, but you, you, the epidermis is very, very thin. Yeah. You know, you're looking at dermis, you're looking at the, the fascia, you're looking at the muscles, the nerves themselves, the nerve bundles that actually, you know, transmit directly to the brain. When we understand this connection and and it clicks in, then you you can actually listen to your body. And the first thing you could see is look at your skin and see if there's a change there that might be reflecting an internal issue.
3: So when Dr. Claudia describes this full-on dermatological camp, I guess that's where I fall. But I also have really simplified things over the last few years. Like Jessica, I completely oversensitized my skin in my 20s. I was using so much stuff that I thought looked pretty in the bottle, but I had no idea what it really did. I was lathering on serums just for the sake of it. And finally, a few years ago, I saw a dermatologist for the first time, and she actually helped me really simplify my routine. Growing up with rosacea, I was really conscious of how my skin looked. I used to feel like I had to wear a lot of makeup to cover my skin. I hated my natural skin. And my derma has helped me feel better about my skin than I ever have before. And it's all through using far less products. I use a simple moisturizer a cleanser and an SPF and that's it most days and honestly I like my skin more than I ever have so I feel more confident I really do and I guess I'm leaving my face way more the fuck alone now when it comes to products but then there's still the Botox of it all and the fact that I really do care about how my face looks And I really wanted to know from Jessica how she started to give less shits about the way her face looks and how she started to detach herself from those societal
2: beauty standards that we talked about earlier. I guess reprogramming of my relationship to beauty now is just like asking myself why. I like call it being the annoying toddler with my subconscious. Like (laughs) why, why, why? Even for our interview, I knew I was going to be seeing you face to face. So I put like concealer on a zit that I have. Okay, why am I putting concealer on that zit? Um, because the zit makes me feel uh, uncomfortable and anxious. Why does it make me feel anxious? Because I don't feel beautiful when I have a zit. Why don't I feel beautiful when I have a zit? Um, I don't know. I've always been told that you know, beautiful skin is clear skin. Who yeah. told you that? Is that true? And you can go on and on and on, and it always comes back to the reasons for my insecurities and the reasons for my anxieties. All of these underlying things are feelings that somebody sold to me once so that I would buy into their idea of what is beautiful, buy into it emotionally, and like literally buy into it economically, financially. You know? So that's really helped me sort of divorce my sense of self-worth from my sense of beauty, is just realizing that that's not actually something that's coming from within me. Those are feelings that are coerced by an external force and I don't have to feel them.
1: Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana.
0: It doesn't get any better than this.
1: Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes.
0: There really is no place like home.
1: And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy
0: place. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
3: This idea that every single thing that we believe about how we look and our faces In particular comes from someone else telling us something and that none of our decisions are made in a vacuum really hit me. It's so obvious and it makes a ton of sense, but I just hadn't ever reflected on the fact that me thinking my skin has to be smooth, clear, and dewy for it to be beautiful is just something that someone else told me. And it's really helped me think about my own skin and how I value it in a new way. My skin is kind of bumpy. I have rosacea, so it's definitely not one unified color. And I'm kind of an oily bitch. And you know what? I'm more okay with that now than ever. And it's definitely a journey. And I'm sure in another five years, I'll be even more comfortable with how my face looks, hopefully. But Dr. C and Jessica's words have really rattled around in my head since I spoke to them. And I really am finding a newfound respect with this amazing, really complex organ that is our skin. And I am slowly but surely letting go some of the control that I felt like I needed to have about what every millimeter, sorry for the Australian measurement there, of my skin looks like.
1: There are skincare ingredients and companies that kind of just help your skin do its job better rather than changing it. I'm like three things, SPF, vitamin A, vitamin C, vitamin A at night, you want to regenerate your skin at night, C in the day because you need to protect yourself. What sort of led to me
2: evaluating was my routine about truly caring for myself. And that can be anything from, you know, skincare to putting on makeup to self-care, like taking a bath or, you know, working out or whatever it is. Um, I started asking myself, like, is this about truly caring for myself or is this about controlling what I look like? under the guise of care. And when I broke my routine down or my old routines down through that lens, I realized so much of it was actually just about self-control and not really this sense of care at all. Um, And I think tracing it back, I think the urge to control everything about the way we look and the way our skin presents. When I was able to use products again, I was like, well, what's the point? My skin is doing all of this. So I I call my method now supportive skincare. So I use topical products that support my skin's inherent functions so that they can do the best possible job the way that they were designed to do that. Most days that means nothing. I don't want to put any layers between my skin and its environment. The only way that we're going to get free from some of these harmful toxic beauty standards is if we have the freedom and the allowance and the grace to tell the truth about how they started and how they affect us. And and then, you know, you can do whatever you want with that truth and that's not, there's no judgment to that. There's no, you know, moral valuation to that. It's not a good or a bad thing as long as you know the truth about the motivations behind your decisions.
3: I think we all can acknowledge that we're thinking about our faces differently and that we'll continue to do so as we age. It's a complicated relationship. So I wanted to know from each of our experts how they approach it.
1: As I age, you know, I haven't done any Botox or anything so but I am appreciating that my skin will texture will change and so I think you just have to keep that in balance too like sure if you want to look you know, great in Zoom, and you want to add a little filler here or a Botox there, it's okay. You know, if it's in line with kind of what you want to do and how you want to present yourself to the world, I think that's okay. I'm not saying that these things are bad, but um, also just kind of think about just how powerful and interesting and wonderful your skin as an organ is. And, you know, do you want to do so much to it or do you want to just keep it at its optimum?
2: One, understanding that our inherent worth as human beings has nothing to do with our physical bodies at all. You are so inherently worthy no matter what you look like. And then also realize the challenges of living within this society that we humans have created, where you know what, what you look like actually does have real world implications and it's not bad. It's not a bad thing and it's not a shameful thing to be aware of that
4: we never view age as a bad thing and never view aging as a bad thing. And I think for us, wrinkle prevention and treatment is so separate from aging. I think age should be always viewed as a positive. And, and I, I think as people, we need to be accepting of ourselves. And I think people are, can be very critical, um, of themselves and that, Um, is never a part of the conversation at Peachy for a reason and that we encourage people to be comfortable and confident in their natural appearance. Um, And that's, you know, my hope for the future is that continues to grow and and people continue to practice self-love and self-acceptance.
3: I loved what our experts said above. It was probably my favorite part of the conversations that we had. And I'm really working to do the internal stuff needed to embrace my face as I age. I feel really good about my current skincare routine. I feel like I'm doing the things that I need to do to feel good. And alongside that, I want to really respect and honor this amazing thing that is my skin. So I guess through the conversations I had, for this episode and the research that I've done, my position on how much we should do to our faces hasn't really changed, but I just have so much more understanding and context for why we do the things we do. But everyone needs to think about what makes them feel good. However, I think that they can do that knowing that there are lots of reasons somewhat outside of their control for how they feel the way that they feel. So let's move through this beauty world with a ton of understanding, a ton of kindness towards ourselves and a whole lack of shame. On today's show, you heard from Jessica Dufino, Dr. Carolyn Treasure, and Dr. Claudia Aguirre. This episode was produced by Taylor Camille, Ella Dove, and myself, Kate Spees, along with many other hands and brains at Well and Good. Please don't forget to subscribe, rate, share, and tell all your friends about us. Mixing and scoring by our sound engineer, Joanna Samuel. And our theme music was created by Madeline Lukomsky and Matt DiDomenico. Our show art was designed by Jenna Gibson and Karina Masonette. Special thanks to Jess Friedman, Ali Short, Jen Snyder, and Cassie Wolfe.